Hello, and welcome to Asians Represent. I'm Daniel Kwan. And I'm Jade Matkesh. And we're your hosts for this bonus episode. Today's episode is all about connecting with nature through gaming. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. Uh, our featured creator for this episode is Jian Shim. Uh, now, Jian is a survival skills instructor, uh, a LARP designer, and an all-around you know, awesome human being. This was an amazing conversation. I actually had a technical goof up uh, that resulted in us losing the first 38 minutes of the interview. It would have ended up being a two-hour episode, so maybe it was for the best. <laughs> yep. um, but the, the first 38 minutes, the audio quality isn't quite what we wanted. Uh, but we are going to make it available as an exclusive for patrons of the One Shot Network. And the content was golden. Oh, the content was great. We talked about, you know, my hate for being called Dan. We talked about wearing shoes in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, East Coast versus West Coast Asians. Mm-hmm. It's it, a whole it, thing. It's a whole thing. It was it was really good. Um, and so that comedic gold is going to be available <laughs> only at patreon.com forward slash one shot podcast. Now, do we have any news? Yeah. So, well, you just came back from New York, yeah? Yeah, I just came back from New York. That was a, a dope trip. Um, I guess I'll go with, I'll start with me then. Uh, yeah, I just came back from New York. Sarah, my, my girlfriend and I went to New York. We got to meet up with a couple, actually, uh, RPG people. Mm. We met up with our friend uh, Joe DeSimone, mm-hmm. uh, who just started a website called Index, which is all about critical evaluation of RPGs. Mm. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, and it's user-contributed, and it's completely mm. anonymous. So if you have something to say, that's the place to say it. I remember he posted it on Twitter, um, yeah. the idea. He floated the idea, and the next day, it was up. It was live. Yeah, he, he works fast, so... Uh, you can, it's, it's called Index. If you want to look for it, you can just head to his Twitter. Give him a follow. He's super cool. Uh, his Twitter is iHeartFargo. Um, he shouldn't make one in his name, but right now it's iHeartFargo. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was in New York, met up with Joe, his partner Haley, and then met up with another designer, Ryan Flammer, and his partner Emily. And we met up at this like dim sum restaurant, and it was the busiest dim sum oh, restaurant yeah? ever. They had like... You had to take numbers to get in. It was so packed. Whoa. But it was banquet hall sized. And it was amazing? It, w- it was amazing. Okay. It was it's called uh, Jin, Jin Fong. Cool. Jin Fong. Jin Fong. Yeah. It was, check it out when you're in New York. Yeah, check it out. But I, but I think what was most interesting about that trip and I think most relevant to this podcast was our visit to the MOCA. That's the uh, Museum of Chinese in America. It's, it's on Manhattan. It's right in Chinatown. Kind of on that border between Chinatown and Little Italy. Mm. And they had this amazing exhibition called Radical Machines Chinese in the uh, Information Age. And it was just the history of the Chinese typewriter. Mm. Now, if you've ever looked at like Chinese writing, uh, there, there's no alphabet. There are like over 70,000 characters in the Chinese written language. And this exhibit was, was curated actually interestingly by a white guy. Hmm. Uh, a Stanford historian named uh, Tom Mullaney. Mm-hmm. Mullaney? Yeah, Mullaney. And uh, he he has the largest collection of, you know, Chinese typewriters in the world. Wow. Yeah. And so he, he curated this with his personal collection and, and bits from other donors. And it was really interesting. Like, you know, I, I kind of take my ability to type in Chinese for granted. Mm. You can like, type in Chinese? Yeah, you can type in Chinese through your smartphone. Oh, cool, yeah. Yeah, it's, you, it's through Pinyin, so you can type in, uh, like, sort of the phonetic Right, English, you can do that, yeah, in, in Japanese can, as well, yeah. Yeah, and you can mm. select the Chinese characters. Mm-hmm. But before that, it was all 
it was like, how do you actually create a typewriter with 70,000 yeah. characters? I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So they, they did um, this whole exhibition on it, but also the, the underlying racism that, that Chinese people face when trying to develop this technology. Right, yeah. Because there's this idea that you know, Chinese people and China in itself was a threat. And so they were viewed as inferior mm-hmm. to, to English, mm-hmm. to, to that typewriter. And this was developed in America? Was no, it? It was, mm-hmm. it's interesting. The, the whole history is really complicated, but it, it involves a lot of actually white European inventors going to China to try to help right. the Chinese okay. people. Yeah. Um, but the one you see on that cover, uh, the book called um, The Chinese Typewriter History by mm-hmm. the curator Thomas uh, Mulaney, uh, it uh, that's the double pigeon typewriter. So that that has like the most commonly used characters. And it's, it's massive. It's massive. There's it a it looks there's like a cutting board. Yeah, it, yeah, it does. Like it a does, paper cutter, but they're or buttons. <laughs> yeah, it actually like is like a typewriter, but you manually move the thing around mm. instead of hit keys. Yeah, uh, that's was, wild. Yeah. yeah, it was wild. It was really cool exhibition. Um, they also had a, a section on like the Exclusion Act, on mm. you know, on like the Dragon Lady stereotype mm-hmm. on chop suey and right. like American Chinese stuff. Yeah. And then a beautiful um, black and white photograph mm. display about, you know, Chinese in Manhattan and the Chinatown and growing and like how that Chinatown mm. grew and the experiences of immigrants in New York. It was like an amazing, amazing museum. And you're saying Thomas Mullaney curated it? Yeah, he curated the typewriter. Right, exhibition. I see, I see. So I that's see. the rotating exhibition. Right. Uh, so I reached out to him, and I'm having him on my podcast, Curiosity and Focus. Oh, cool. I didn't think it would fit with Asians yeah. Represent, um, but I wanted to talk to him nonetheless. Mm. If I find that it really does go well, I maybe we'll just do another interview. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I feel like we should try to do a collaboration with the people at this museum. Mm. It's kind of talk. Super cool, yeah. Yeah. So that was the highlight, uh, you know, other than spending time with my girlfriend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was eating all the good food. Eating all the good food. Got to meet one of my pizza idols. Nice, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Canelo. I saw your photo. <laughs> yeah. Best pizza on Instagram. Um, yeah, it was just like a really good trip. You know, it was reinvigorating. It was my first vacation in like three years. Oh, nice, yeah. Yeah, so I... Congrats. I really needed that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I really... I don't have any other news other than we're all going to be at Breakout Con. Yeah. Yeah. Super excited yeah, about that. You, me, Agatha, we're going to be at Breakout Con. Come March, say hi. Yeah, March 15th to 17th at the mm-hmm. Sheridan Center here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. We're doing a panel. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a live recording of an Asians Represent episode. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it with Banana Chan. With Banana Chan. It's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be dope. I'm really excited for it. Yeah. Um, we're going to organize some sort of meetup. Yeah. So if, you, uh, wanna, if you're coming to that con, if you want to meet up with us, if you want to hang, I think we're going to do like, we'll do like a big lunch or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, show you all the hot spots Yeah, show you all here. the hot spots around City Hall. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh God! Uh, <laughs> we'll find something. Um, but if you if you want to know about that, you know, give us a follow on social media, and uh, you know, give us a like on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash a z n s represent, and uh, that's where we'll post the event. Um, after aside from BreakoCon, we have an Instagram now. Yep. Uh, we're gonna start. Posting we're gonna that. start posting on that. Yeah. Maybe we'll we'll do it. We'll do it today or something. Mm. We'll do it tomorrow. Okay. Let's um, do it. Oh, let's post a selfie from today. Uh, yeah, there let's do go. that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so give us a follow. That's again at AZNS Represent on Instagram. But yeah, for me, New York trip. I'm doing some freelance stuff and BreakoCon. I feel like you've got you've got more in terms of like things you're doing right now oh january's been so busy um 
Like, I'm just prepping for our weekend game. <laughs> Which is a lot of work. Oh, I'm so excited. We're playing Gaslands this weekend, and I just haven't had the chance to look over any of the material, but um, the chat that we're in has been, like, blowing up. And there's yeah. like sweet photos of everyone's cars, and I'm way behind. <laughs> yeah. So, so for the for the listeners, uh, Gaslands is a game by uh, Osprey Games. Um, it's a skirmishing war game. Uh, basically, there's actually a little bit of narrative behind it. This the idea is that Mar- Mars took over Earth forcefully, and that Earth is now being controlled by Martian collaborators, mm. and people are being put in these death races Hmm. uh, called the Gaslands. So freaking cool. And so in the game, you basically take like a Hot Wheels car, like those die cast cars, and you kit bash them using, and you repaint them and you make them look all Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. post-apocalyptic. You could see photos of my stuff on uh, my Instagram at Daniel H. Kwan. But uh, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to have our first race. And I think I'm going to try to make it into a monthly thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I hope so. I hope so too with our group because we, we, you know, we were playing D anD D. You missed out when we yeah, played on Coriolis. Coriolis. <laughs> uh, but we're gonna play Ga- Gaslands because uh, one of one of the members of our group, Aiden, he's an engineer, and you gotta see the car he mm. made. Oh my god! Not even gonna try. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So we'll we'll post some pictures from that on the Instagram as well. Maybe we'll do live. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Well, what you you had a busy month and you've got. You know, a lot of things coming up. Yeah, I've got a number of things coming up. Well, uh, right now I'm prepping for a few lectures that I'm doing next month. Um, I'm speaking at Ryerson um, on puzzle design, puzzles, process, and innovation. Um, Ryerson is a university here in Toronto. Mm. And um, it's it's for a transmedia storytelling class. And I think it's just so cool that that exists. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm also, the next day, I'm doing a lecture up at Waterloo on Tycho. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Daniel Unlike, is swinging his arms above his head. <laughs> like, a, like a drummer. <laughs> I've inspired him. Um, and aside from that, I'm really excited um, because I have the opportunity to go to GDC in, at the end of March. Yeah, that's going to be dope. Yeah, I'm really, really stoked. I don't know if anyone's going to be there. Hit me up. I would love to hang out. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you're going to do your, your, your lecture series, yep, Ryerson, my, yep. Waterloo, uh, and then you're going to GDC. Mm-hmm. We're going to be uh, we're gonna be doing Breakout, breakout Con. Um, I got really hooked on Elder Scrolls Online. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super hooked. Yeah. I, I made my elf look Asian. Oh, really cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we I, actually uh, got a yeah. uh, a nice gift in the mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so sweet. It's so sweet. And it's a cool game, too. So our friend uh, Chris in, in Austin, I, shout out to Austin. I love Austin. Mm. Uh, I, uh, I went there a couple of years ago and I stayed there for a month. It was great. Um, but our, our friend Chris, he's at Emo Technology on Twitter. Uh, Chris Vu, Gandon Lee uh, wrote a game. It's an RPG. Uh, it's called Party at Tiffany Burl's House. It's a role-playing game for awkward 90s kids. Yeah. It's, it's got the, the most 90s cover. I love it, yeah. Isn't it? It's, it's awesome. Also, we're, we weren't paid for this. We're, I legitimately think this is just cool. Yeah. Uh, Chris I'm super sent, excited to play it, which we should soon. Oh, we 100% mm-hmm. should. Uh, Chris sent uh, Agatha and I a PDF of this uh, a while ago, and I read it, and I was like, I love this. <laughs> this is um, the best. But these photos are, are, are great. Just really, yeah. Really yeah. Do it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is about being at a, at a party. Uh, you just finished your sophomore year of high school and something's happened, something amazing. <laughs> and you've been invited to the, the most poppin' of parties, 
the party at Tiffany Burrell's house. <laughs> it's, it's, it, this is dope. This is the kind of game that I think we should play on the podcast. Yeah, for if, sure. If I could get, if I could get Chris to run it for us. Oh yeah. We should record that. Yeah, That'd yeah, be yeah. a lot of fun. That'd be really cool, Chris. I think if you're, if you're an indie designer and you want to, you know, show the world your game, you got a dope game. Uh, you let, let us know, hit us up. Yeah. Um, Swords and Flowers, we're going to play uh, Magic Sword. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to try to try to do something there. And um, But this, Party at Tiffany Burrell says, I really want to play this because I want to see how it, if, it, if it plays out like it does in my head. God, yeah. I'm already like cringing and, I don't know, feeling mixed things <laughs> about everything. Yeah. I, <laughs> Super I, excited at the I same time. I think it's going to be awkward in, in, the, in uh, like a, the most entertaining way. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yo, check, check, check out this game, Party at Tiffany Burrell's House at uh partyrpg.com i don't know how you got that domain chris but, i know but like good, good on, on you, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good on you can't believe you got that domain but yeah partyrpg.com check it out um okay so we uh we this was a this was an awesome interview that you're going to be listening to one with uh with Gion shim it was uh it was really good. It was deep. It was like, I think the way we ended it was, this was part one of yeah. uh, a to-be-determined number of future yeah. episodes. Yeah, it was, it was dope. Yeah, lots of things we covered. Yeah, we covered, you know, the, the importance of outdoor skills, the, the feeling that we all have that sometimes we're not meant to be connected with nature, but that connection really mm-hmm. does exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked about um you know culture clash mm-hmm. with the asian diaspora in the general asian diaspora. how that yeah manifests it, yeah it was both like heavy and light at the same time mm-hmm. this episode mm-hmm. and it went on for well over an hour mm. so we won't go long with this so uh just uh enjoy this conversation that we had with the uh the amazing and very skillful in terms of you'll find out uh, Gian has all these really incredible skills that Gian is a real life like D&D character. Yeah, yeah. Right? Real life ranger slash yeah. druid. She is your, who you dream to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. My people. <laughs> but but enjoy this conversation and uh, give it up for Gian Shin. Yeah, I'm here now. Fuck, that, that is a giant oh, bummer. What a great conversation it was. To, I mean, well, it's going to continue, but that's okay. No, For no, what it's today- worth, I don't have anything scheduled until 8 o'clock my time. So, like, if we, if you want to, like, not necessarily No, let's just, let's just, let's just run it back. Let's do it. Yeah, let's okay, do it. cool. You know what? Cool, cool, cool. So, for the, the audience members, you know, you've, you've heard Jade and I already talk, and now we're getting in, into this amazing conversation with Gian. And so we lost the first 38 minutes of the audio because of, uh, you know, a, a technical, a technical totally fuck up on, on my part. And I totally own up to that because I think it's important to own up to your mistakes. Um, that audio, that, that bonus audio will actually be um, an exclusive for patrons of the One Shot Network. So if nice. you head to patreon.com forward slash One Shot Podcast, you can hear a 30 minute a uh, 38 minute bonus uh, conversation that we had. You know, we talked about my intense dislike of being called Dan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we we talked about you know Asians in media, and we talked about etiquette you know, and rituals. Etiquette and rituals, mm-hmm. and I think 
that in of itself is, you know, worth an entire episode. Yeah. Etiquette and rituals. Yeah. If you want the the pro tip life hack summary of that etiquette and rituals (laughs) thing, just leave your shoes outside of any Asian friend's house. Just leave them the fuck outside. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's the first, so if you aren't a patron, I mean, you should be a patron, but if you aren't, that's like, that's the, that's the spark note for the, the bonus episode. Mm. It's leave your shoes outside, (laughs) take them the fuck off. Don't spend your money on, you know, a fancy Rube Goldberg shoe cleaner so you can wear your shoes indoors. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, no monsters are going to come through. We were talking about Pacific Rim. You aren't going to need to get your shoes on and run out of your house. And if you do, and there are monsters, you'd probably already be dead. Yep. Uh, yep. So you're already let, in trouble not, for other reasons. You're already in trouble. So, so um, take off your shoes. Yeah. So take it's off fine. your shoes. Yeah. But That's but so before, funny. yeah, I know. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but, but you know what? That that actually, I think, you know, that 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 extra content is is more suited as a bonus content. I think because yeah, you know, sure. It's about it's about our our dynamic. Uh, you know, yeah. the three of us. You know, mm. you, Jade, myself. Uh, before we got cut off, I was talking about. You know, learning traditional skills and me wanting to be, you know, a, a real life D and D character. Yeah. And yeah. so I was, I was saying, you know, like I'm into, I'm really into archery, uh, and I've been shooting bows for as long as I've been playing RPGs. So That's I've been so cool, right? And I got into you know learning traditional skills because of RPGs. So like I wanted to be that D and D character, and I had this amazing you know, educator, um, who also was the guy who inspired me to actually go and study archaeology. Mm, mentors are so important. Oh, wow. and, and it's so really weird. Are. Like, yeah. cause like we met, we went, we met his name, his name is Dr. Robert Mason. Uh, mm-hmm. he's on Twitter. Um, but he's, nice. uh, a, like a database technician at the Royal Ontario museum. Mm, and I met him when okay. I was 10 and I started coming to the D and D program at the ROM that I now teach. Mm, oh. And I met him there and he taught, he, he would teach the students how to shoot. And oh, I just that's kept so cool. Yeah. And so it was like, so relevant. Yeah. And so I, I started to come back to the program and then now I teach it. And I and still, you teach and I, kids how to shoot. And I teach the kids how to <laughs> shoot now. And, but I still bring them to meet him and see artifacts. Um, but, you know, so I've been shooting English longbows and other historical bows since nice. then. And I recently took up, you know, compound bow shooting. Mm. Oh, cool. Uh, I actually don't use compound bows, I use almost exclusively recurve. Just because oh, nice. we do a lot, we teach uh, bow making as oh, well as cool. yeah, yeah. Bow making is really, really cool, really satisfying. It's actually one of my fitness goals um, to build up my upper body enough that like bow making doesn't take me as long as it takes me right now. <laughs> yeah, because a lot, a lot of the process is literally just like drawing wood off of the stave that you're carving down yep. in order right. to make the bow. Um, and like, and what then that's before it engage specifically. It's like. Like your back and your, your arms. Back. When right. I made my first bow, it's like I just remember feeling like I'd done a hundred push-ups right. every hour <laughs> for like two days straight. Just like right. it, it just hurt so much. Um, and that was with a forgiving material. That was with rattan. Um, I haven't finished right. uh, right. any hardwood bows yet, but my mm. friends wow. at work who make them regularly, like they're they're built people mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, i can't yeah. imagine what hardwood would be like well, if that was rattan yeah well there was um there was a, a shipwreck called the mary rose it's a mm-hmm. tudor shipwreck and they found i want to say hundreds of english longbows on it but they also found dead archers on it and oh. their skeletal structure was asymmetrical from shooting those bows oh oh wow yeah oh, wow like those, that's if cool. you if you ever read about the you know the english longbow 
it is an incredible weapon. Uh, one oh, of man. arguably one of the most effective war. artillery weapons. Mm. Yes. I, I don't say yes. precision. I say artillery weapons because they used it to volley. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that yeah. I, I, oh, go ahead. Brit- oh, no, sorry. Um, I read and this is apocryphal. I don't I haven't like followed it up with any academic sources, but I read that the reason why in Britain you hold up two fingers like facing out like the peace sign, but flipped is like a fuck you. Yeah, it is. is. That, yeah, it dates back to like longbow the archers. Hundred years, right. The hundred years yeah. war. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like people would like capture British archers and then cut off their mm-hmm. uh, their fingers before they executed them. Mm-hmm. And so fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. And then when and when battle started, mm-hmm. like all the archers would, you know, quote unquote, flip off the other side to be like, mm-hmm. we're fucking here and we're going to fuck you up. Right. Um, and now it's like turned into this uh, kind of very defiant, uh, crass gesture. Right. Um, yeah. Which is so no, cool. 100%. I, that's so cool that that's real. Oh, I love it. I'm yeah. so glad. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, so I, I learned how to shoot bows. And then when I was uh, 16, I studied at the, um, it's in Toronto, Jade, we should go. Mm-hmm. It's at the, uh, the Academy so of awesome. European Medieval Martial Arts. And I learned, Where is that? I learned it's, it's at, uh, um, near Ossington DuPont? and DuPont. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. at the, the Fighting Arts Collective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So cool. I, I studied there when I was 16 and I learned longsword fighting. Cool. Well, I guess we would call it an arming sword. A longsword <laughs> is like in D and D, it's the bastard sword. Hmm. Um, so I learned sword fighting, and then in um, uh, then in what was it in university, I learned lock picking. Cool. Yep. We teach lock picking actually. Yeah, yeah, so well, do you? One of, cool. yeah, we teach it as part of our secret agents camp curriculum. Oh, oh cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like really basic lock. It's like the it's um not the Yale lock, but you know padlocks and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, we teach the beginning of like how to like sort of tell how to pick a like a locker combination lock. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, it's a really great fidget actually for children. Um, oh yeah, I bet. But it's also you know, a lot of our curriculum is sort of built around this question of like, if infrastructure breaks down, what skills do you need? And like mm-hmm. being able to pick locks is actually a very useful skill. Yeah, it, it has come in handy multiple times. For oh me. my god, so many <laughs> times. Yeah, yeah, so many times. Like I, I think that the hardest lock that I've picked, I, I've picked a master, one of those master craft master class that brand those. Oh those yeah, reinforced padlocks. Mm, I picked one tough. of those. Um, nice. I have a like a five piece titanium set. It's been that <laughs> nice. it's, it's like this, this it, yeah. the same set that I've had since my university <laughs> days. And so like when when I was look when I was looking you up and I was doing all of my my research on you, um, <laughs> which still sounds weird even though I've already said it once. Um, you know, I was home. like I was like oh trackers that's so cool and you know that's something that I would have loved going to when I was a kid because right. I had to kind of learn all of this stuff on my own as an adult Mm. and I didn't get that growing up my parents like never took me camping I had to do that on my own sure my parents really aren't into hiking they're not into you know just being outdoors like I'm so lucky that the direction that my life has gone in has allowed me to do that like Mm. I got to I got paid to go to do outdoor survival training that's awesome I love that that's great right that's cool and I then that is when I knew that I don't like the cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like like we so like all the archaeologists at the university I was at, you know, we had the opportunity to go do survival training and most people didn't really need it. 
Um, it was mostly offered to the Arctic archaeologists mm, okay. who have to carry rifles on site because of polar bears and all that. Right, right. And I was, yeah. like, and I was like, it was an option. Mm, and I was yeah. like, you know what? I want to tag along. Yeah. I want to do this. And it was just like all the Arctic archaeologists who like can handle the cold and me. <laughs> also, the only person of color. And, oh wow! Yeah, and it, our our instructor was I like I I shit you not an ex British like army sniper, mm. Holy and crap. it was so intense. And he was like he did so many things that you normally wouldn't do. Like one of our scenarios was like you walk in the woods and you find somebody who has an arrow in them, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and like. And I remember this, I remember another thing so vividly because it was like, my instincts were like, because I remember when that happened and I knew we were being graded. I pulled out my knife and I was like, okay, where is this person? We got to watch out. Yeah. I I, I got so into it. And there was like another day when- You're LARPing. LARPing. And this is perfect because you're the perfect person to talk to about that. Wait, was that the right answer for him? Well, he he was like, you're the only person to ever think that there might be somebody hostile in the woods. <laughs> I think that was the right answer. I think that that's the right. right answer. Answer. I, yeah. I think I don't think that was the answer he was looking for, right. but it's still the right answer. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> you know, I saw a shimmering in the wood, and then three laser dots came out of nowhere, and we fought this alien. I covered myself in mud. I was shirtless, and then I dodged a nuke. You know? Oh man, you guys can't um, see it right now, but I had to rush in from work such that I didn't have time to shower and we did a natural camo lesson with my recording this with like a bunch of just charcoal and mud That's like amazing See, this. This, is, this is why this episode needed to happen <laughs> why this needed to happen it's and- you know yeah i'm so gratified to hear like just through like our own different sets of circumstances on like opposite coasts in two different countries like like we've developed these interests in jade i don't know how much like outdoor stuff you do but like it seems like there's a lot of passion for like land connection between the three of us and that's really really exciting for me because i think that like growing up because i was sort of like you daniel right like my parents weren't super into hiking um we never went car camping i think my first time camping actually was like camping camping was um my staff training for this job at trackers oh no Um, way that's cool yeah yeah no i remember at the staff training some people were complaining about some of the like showers, like not running hot and stuff like that. Um, and I, you know, I was just like, yeah, like it, you know, just trying to keep morale up and being like, it's not so bad, right? It's sort of like jumping into like a creek or something. And they're like, I mean, like, you know, you sound like you have a lot of experience. I'm like, nope, this is literally my first time camping. And they're like, oh fuck, I should stop complaining. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it like, I wasn't expecting to like it so much. I got hired at the job because, um, at the time the person who's who was the artisans department coordinator who's um the job i i eventually took over uh just needed like a bunch more staff for summer camp summer camp mm-hmm. is our bread and butter our staff swells oh, yeah. from like our core staff of like 20 people to like a hundred um mm-hmm. because of the volume of summer campers we get and so um i was hired basically because they knew i was a giant nerd and really like tabletop rpgs <laughs> yo i wish i got hired because of that for a job <laughs> It's like a very, yeah, it, you know, like it was, um, it's a very weird job title because it's 
survival skills. You know, there's like lots of alliterative ways I can put it. I can say survival skills through storytelling or land skills through LARPing. But at the end of the day, it is a combination of being outside and connecting with nature and role playing, which, yeah. um, you know, is very weird. Um, it's a Have hard job seen... to explain. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Have you ever well, seen no, Darkon? The Darkon? No, I haven't. Yo, it's it D-A-R-K-O-N. It's a documentary about boffer larps. <gasps> yeah. And so oh I, I saw this like, a, it, I saw this, oh, got to be like six years ago, this documentary. And it's about a one particular LARP. And it's like this continuous LARP that's going on over uh, somewhere in Washington or something. But their fantasy map overlays the metropolitan map of the region. Mm. And oh, cool. the documentary follows like this one kingdom and but it's really like five people mm. and how they're you know trying to seize power in this fantasy world but one of the things that like really like struck me by watching this documentary is that when you're participating in one of these larps you are you're being active and you are being outside mm-hmm. yeah yeah boffer larping i've never played a boffer larp um i've always I've wanted really to yeah me too i there aren't a whole lot in the bay area or california as a whole um there, there just aren't a lot of them The i get the feeling the east coast has a lot more yeah um, I, would, I just want to wear the costumes <laughs> oh, i don't yeah. even have to do it yeah. i just want to go hiking and wear the costume <laughs> well, i really me, just want the cloak yeah. <laughs> totally yeah, I actually, my my boss asked me, she was like, you know, like, we have enough that, like, every department gets to ask for sort of, like, one thing to, like, prep for the summer season. What would you like? And a lot, you know, like, my friend Levi, who runs archery, he was like, I would love, like, all of these, like, materials for bow making and stuff and, and whatever. And I was like, you know what I would love? I would love to dry clean all our cloaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, not once in the, like, four plus years that I've been here have we gotten them dry cleaned and, like, right. I don't want to wear them anymore. <laughs> They, they're all like crusty. Yeah. A lot of them look like Gandalf's cloak from Lord of the Rings. Right? Oh, they're don't just dry like, clean those. Uh, are great. I know. I know. <laughs> they might there. also have like poison oak on them. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. They well, do. Tolerance, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I'm um, so fascinated by your work because, like, I don't think I've ever met anybody who has a job like you do, but also <laughs> is you know so connected to gaming and is so passionate about using games to get people to connect with the world, you know, outside. Oh, thank and, you. And, you know, connect with themselves. Like, so I mm-hmm. read, I read Pin Feathers and Cloud Studies. Oh, and, so and, and I was actually thinking about it. Like, I listened to the music that went with it. Like, not my kind of music, but I listened to the sure. music that went with it. Um, and, like, I did the whole thing. Oh, wow. And, That's awesome. Yeah. And, it, like, it, 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 it gave me the feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like and I, you know what I get the feels a lot like and I'm really <laughs> open about it like uh, like I I I bawled at like my, my girlfriend's just sitting over there and like I cried at Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> I still <laughs> haven't seen it. No spoilers, like, I, but okay, I, I cried at the end. Oh good, um, I'm so glad. <laughs> like, I expect yeah, I will cry I, as well. <laughs> like I, I cried at the end and like you know like I cried at at Up obviously another great oh, Asian character. Oh, I know. Um, I love him. He's and so he, pure. He, he's so yeah. And he's like, he just he just like wants to earn his patches. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, like I always wanted to do scouts, and I never got to when I was oh, a kid. Oh yeah. Because again, my parents weren't into that. Right. Sure. But like, I I I read through your LARP, and I was like, man, if I was a bird, 
<laughs> I would, that, that's really what I gravitated towards. Because <laughs> I was like, what kind of bird would I be? And I was like, I'd be a motherfucking secretary bird. <laughs> So oh my you. god, that's amazing. So I work with a lot of just incredible, incredible naturalists. Um, and some of them are really good at bird calls. And out of this developed one of my personal favorite bus games. It's a trivia game. It's called Bird Up. And basically bird it's up. yeah, Bird Up. And it's a way of getting the instructors to sort of like get out of the days that you sometimes get into at like nine o'clock in the morning on a school bus yep. mm-hmm. and you just go down the road yeah. and you're like you ask them straight up like what kind of bird are you today <laughs> and all these, <laughs> yeah. and be like, i think you know today i think i feel like a like a a crow right because it like this was me actually i was like i'm so tired i don't know what to say i'm a crow and then the person running bird will be like oh cool what sound does a crow make and then you have to try to make the sound mm-hmm. um and this game is especially good when the person running it is good at bird calls because then they can be like, oh, great. I think it sounds like this. And then they'll just do the call. And it's a really great way of engaging the kids because they're like, oh, I didn't know that bird sounded like that. Mm-hmm. Are you are you good at bird calls? What's not, your best one? My best one is the crow call because we use it as um, a summoning call for micro school. It's like an unobtrusive, non-human like human this call. This is amazing. So I didn't great. know this was a thing. See, when you said summoning <laughs> call, I was like, what RPG are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> it's the one bird call I can do like pretty reliably decently Yo, let, uh, let's hear it let's hear it oh, really? i know people are going to be like oh, those, it might be really loud. i'm going to call them i'm going to hold the mic a little bit from my face yeah, yeah. so imagine i'm curious camo face paint sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is like embarrassingly on brand hang on okay <laughs> yo that's good that's so good that's so good <laughs> I have a bit oh of a scratchy God. throat, so it's like actually a little rusty, but <laughs> it's because I was doing it all day today. The kids had a lot of energy today. <laughs> we were going to do like oh. all these focused Amazing. activities and stuff, and they were like runner. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's camo day. We're doing camo today. Right. Yo, that that's super amazing. cool. Like, I wish I was kidding. Just like, you know what day it is? It's camo day. Fit it into your life. I just fit it into my life. Sarah is going to be like, why are you wearing camo? It's just camo it's day, camo Sarah. Day. It's camo day. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, God, I love, I love this curriculum so much. I love this job. This is the first time I've like really loved my job, like for real. And one of the things I really love about it is like the ability to like loop it into my creative work. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like now, you know, I talk about this a lot with friends of mine who are also designers. Um, and I have a lot of like really incredible friends who, who are brilliant at the work that they do. Um and we talk sometimes about through lines, like the things that sort of drive mm-hmm. us in our work. And for yeah. me, a yeah. lot of it is like lately I'm actually reconciling. So for me, my through line really is like I just want to connect as many people as possible, like really deeply with the natural world. Um, mm-hmm. All of the LARPs that I write, uh, not all of them, like I have some designs that are specifically meant to be played at like gaming conventions, which have a certain barrier to entry. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. not just cost. It's also cultural. Right. Especially if you are, for example, non-white, um, mm-hmm. but also if you're not of certain socioeconomic classes, if you mm-hmm. just aren't into nerd shit and all of that stuff ties together. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a convention is not going to be for you necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I try I'm trying to build up a portfolio of work that is like really accessible in cost and language. I try to mm-hmm. use very plain, like not academic language. Um 
for one to two player LARPs. Mm-hmm. Because mm. one and like when I first was introduced That's to the idea of a one player LARP, I was like, what is that? Right. Uh, you know, it sounds so odd. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like when I started playing them and reading them, I was really like enchanted by their accessibility and also the resonance of experience that you can have with them. Right. And yeah. you could play these games and literally tell nobody about them, but they'll still affect you and they'll still change you. And they'll mm-hmm. have an impact on the way that you experience the world. And so yeah. I want to write as many games as I can that foster that um, and are in that spirit of accessibility and all have like a core or a kernel of just like like looking outside or being outside. So like mm-hmm. Pink Feathers right. and Cloud Studies, those two games, I was um, that was my first run at writing like this kind of LARP. And I was really... Wow, yeah. Yeah, I was really gratified that people liked it as much as they did. It also got um, put on the oh gosh, what is it? The science yeah, nebula. 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 Yeah, it's el- yeah. so it's like the cool thing. It's like el- thank you. It's eligible for a nebula nomination now. So like people who have memberships so to cool. the to the um, what is it? The science fiction writers of America, I think, could nominate. Uh, yeah, science fiction writer. <laughs> SFWA yeah, membership. Yeah. I'll throw up a link uh, at the it, end. It's pinned, um, it's pinned on your, your Twitter profile. It so. is, yeah. Um, because someone who has a friend of mine who's won like Nebulas and Hugo Hugo's was like, You should make this really visible. And I was like, uh, okay. I don't I guess this yeah. is the easiest way to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, we'll uh, signal boost the crap out of that. Yeah. So I, I played um Tin Feathers and Cloud Studies earlier. Oh, today, did you? Actually. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, Daniel sent it to me uh, while I was uh, commuting. I was starting my commute, and so I actually oh, played perfect. it when I stepped onto the subway, and it was I was like horribly uncomfortable in the subway, and I was like, okay, this is this is in the instructions. It's, in the instructions. <laughs> it's perfect. perfect. Yeah. yeah, and I I had such a melancholy. Uh, <laughs> it was such a melancholy um, gameplay. Experience. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, it was. I was surprised at how much I was able to get into it because it was a subway filled with like so many people. I was so sweaty. I hate the subway <laughs> during the winter. It was awful. It was like rush hour. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing was good. But um, it really, yeah, it like everything that you're saying, it it really accomplished that for me. It, um, I was just outside of my body for a while. Yeah. And um, I know I said it was melancholy, but, you know, you, you don't always play games just for fun or happy yeah it was really nice yeah Yeah. I mean that's one of the things about the LARP scene um that I've discovered in the last year or two is a lot of people play for like deep emotional resonance Mm -hmm. and that is a very different kind of game than like than I think people think they're going to play but when I look back on my own role-playing like history, like how I got into it. The first game I, the first system I ever really played in earnest was Apocalypse World. And then very shortly wow. after that, Monster mm. Hearts, mm. Uh, mm-hmm. which are, yeah, like the same engine, but like there is now a reason why it's really difficult actually for me to like sit down and play D&D because right. like yeah. that was yeah. what I could yeah. Yeah. I get on. That. Yeah. And so I'm really used to just like sitting down and then immediately you just fucking go all in, right? Just mm-hmm. all in. Um and I, uh, and, and then like through designing LARPs and through designing all these things, like I was accustomed to creating those same high octane experiences, you know, that are child appropriate. Um, yeah. now, uh, at work, we're getting like more interested in maybe 
um, doing events for adults, like land scale oriented LARPs for adults that aren't necessarily cool. huge budget weekend LARPs, but could take place over like a single overnight or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because- Totally important for adults as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Especially like, I think in urban settings and suburban settings, people- like this is a thing that happens. I, I talked about this with my interview in my interview with Alex Roberts for her backstory podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was on that show too. Yeah, I she's such a great interviewer. Um, and this great. we talked a lot about like how people lose and become alienated in nature, how people mm-hmm. lose that connection. Because mm-hmm. I actually think that literally every single person, urban or rural or no, like when they are kids, especially, they have that intrinsic connection and love for the land you can't help it like you are a Mm -hmm. person in the world and you are a part of the land um one of the things i say in my acknowledgments and in pin feathers and cloud studies is like one of my major inspirations was this thing called the cloud appreciation society yeah i read that (laughs) which is just it's literally yeah it's a it's a membership club for people who love clouds and literally they just they just love clouds um and one of the things that the founder says that i think is really beautiful is that we don't live beneath the sky we live within it yeah um and i was talking about it with my friend idan um and he was saying because he was the one who introduced me to it his brother wasn't is a member um and he was like yeah you know when i was talking to my brother one of the things he said that resonated with me is that it doesn't you can live in like a landlocked gray like urban grid but you're always going to be able to see beautiful clouds it's like actually the most yeah it's the most accessible way to connect to to nature and to that like profound yeah exactly to look up and that i was just like i'm i and then someone bought me a membership anonymously like the next day amazing yeah it was so beautiful (laughs) um it was like a perfect gift and i um like it's moments like that that I think as adults we forget that alienation and can connect again. But mm-hmm. there's this narrative, right? We tell ourselves like, "Oh, I'm not outdoorsy." Like, "Oh, I don't like hiking." "Oh, I've never been camping. I'd be bad at being outside." And I think the more people tell themselves those stories, the further and further away from that connection to nature that they feel even though it's not true, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you see mm-hmm. that with people who work like office jobs, um, who play boffer LARPs, who will tell you to your face, like, oh, yeah, no, like, I'm not, I'm not outdoorsy. I don't go camping. When they spend like a weekend every month going camping. <laughs> right. Yep, right. Going, yep. Yeah. And like going camping in costume, right? Like in character, which is like Even so much more horror. difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because it's a different engagement. And at the same time, when they're out there on the land, how much are they actually engaging with the land? How much is the space a participant in their experience mm-hmm. versus a backdrop? And I right. talked about this um, recently with a bunch of friends. Like for me, when I design anything, I think that having the space be an active part of the experience, mm-hmm. almost like another player, is really, really crucial to forming that connection. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been talking about this a lot at work, in my work context. Like, how do we create that sense of what we call the non-human community? Like, how does that actually, how do we teach that in a way where kids really feel like that's true? Where they mm-hmm. look at, yeah. like, a hundred-year-old redwood tree and think, like, oh, that's my friend. Um, and have you, have you ever heard of, uh, bio blitzes? No. Oh yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Is that, so, what is? Is that when you like take so, a field guide out and you just try to identify as many things as possible? Yeah. Mm. So I, uh, so with my last job, I was, I was like 
tangentially involved with the BioBlitz, and I've participated in them and uh, wrote for Canada Wildlife, and I shot a video on the the Canada 150 BioBlitz in Whoa. Toronto. <laughs> no big deal. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> it, 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 it was, I did it for fun. <laughs> um, but you, my my friend uh, Stacy Lee Kerr is one of the the coordinator of the Ontario BioBlitz. And she's actually trying to get into designing board games around oh. the concept of a bio blitz. Oh, is it an annual cool. thing? Yeah, it is. Oh, that's so and cool. So what's cool about the Ontario bio blitz is that it's it's done in collaboration with obviously scientists. So they set up like a like a home base research station where people can bring photos. There's actually an app. Uh, do you know about iNaturalist? I do. Yeah, they've oh. improved so much over yes. the years. It was almost so, unusable when they first started, and now like we use it pretty frequently. Yeah, you need well, you need to populate it with users mm-hmm. exactly, and content. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I natural for those who are listening is is an app where you can you can literally snap a photo of something, and the community will help identify it hmm. in nature. And it is Super a handy. really cool way of you know connecting our our reliance on technology with the practice of going outside. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's a really cool app. It's free. Yeah. Uh, like go go get go get that app. It's cool. Yeah, and I mean there are so many apps in uh, in China that I got exposed to that we don't have here. Oh, that's such uh, a bummer. Oh, it, it's a huge bummer. So uh, <laughs> September 2017 was the last time I was in China. I was working in a small city called Yongkang uh, on an on an excavation, and um, I was like, <laughs> I was I was down really deep. It was like 40 degrees. Uh, no no wind, no shade. Um, and I was the only one doing the labor and my supervisor is a botanist. Oh, wow. And so, cause I, I studied, so what I did for my graduate studies was I studied, you know, ancient ceramics and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, essentially the invention of agriculture, mm-hmm. um, I'm really into like traditional, you know, skills and there, my Chinese colleagues had this app where you can literally scan a plant with your phone and it will I, the app will identify it for you that's awesome that's so we cool. don't have that that sucks no well we there are there are cool. and it's free in in china and there are certain ones that you can get here that you can you have to pay for it but they're not as good right like we did like a side by side to see if the english ones were as good and they were not mm, yeah yeah it's you know the thing about iNaturalist that works really well is it taps into the way that people engage with f- smartphone technology already Um, and, uh, there's another app that I use fairly often. I generally try to rely on field guides. I try not to rely on my phone very much because like batteries run out. It's true. Um, yeah, but also like sometimes it like kids are so tech literate. It doesn't hurt to have multiple resources. Right. Yeah. And so one app that I recommend for the kids who are really avid about birds is there's like the field guide that we go to like reliably as the foundation is the Sibley bird guide. Um, there's like a whole series of Sibley bird guides. They're all, they're so good. Um, but there's also an app put out by Cornell, the Cornell department of ornithology, which is very, very good. Um, Sweet. It's called the Merlin bird app. And you look, when you see a bird and you're just like, what is that fucking bird? I want to know. They, <laughs> they first, that that and, exact yeah, language. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. You're just like, what a cool bird. What, the hell is it and you open the app and then it says what size is the bird and there's like sparrow robin hmm. crow duck and like, like goes up um and then you choose like roughly like what size it seems and then it's like 
what three colors are dominant on it? And then it's like, where are you? And you enter your zip code and then it sort of narrows it this down. This is cool. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've just downloaded the app. It's yeah. Merlin Bird ID by Cornell Lab. Yeah. On yeah. the uh, Apple Apple App Store. Mm-hmm. It's this also free. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's also free. free. And it's like, it takes up not too much space um, and it's fast. So I've used that in the field multiple times and it's, it's pretty good. Um, and one of the things that it does that I like also is it aggregates photos. So one of the disadvantages of certain field guides, Sibley is pretty good about this, um, but some only have like one or two photos or images. And some species of birds, particularly like raptors, have multiple morphs. Like they have a lot of variation in their appearance and their feather pattern and color. Um, Sometimes they even have like a lot of variation in size. And so IDing them can be sort of tricky. Um, yeah, and seasonality too is exactly. one thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there's also a bunch of field guides that you can actually get on Kindle. So I have um, a couple hawks at a distance or hawks in flight ID guides that are really great because generally speaking, if you see a hawk or a falcon or any other bird of prey, it's either going to be perched on something or like in the air. And when it's mm-hmm. in the air, you're relying, depending on the distance, relying on a lot of um, silhouette scanning. Mm. And um, depending on the lighting, you're either going to see a lot of the morph or not. But like, yeah, there's God, just a I'm lot of- I'm learning so much. Basically, like my two worlds are like science communication and gaming. And I'm just realizing that that's yours too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. And like from, you know, when you were saying earlier that like being autodidactic was something that you sort of, not lament, but are just like, oh, I really wish I had like elders or mentors in this. I'm completely autodidactic in this too. I've mostly had like peer mentorship and peer education Mm -hmm. and all of this Mm -hmm. um, through work. Yeah. And like we talk about this also a lot like at work of how a lot of the skills that we we teach, um, we must attribute, like we have an obligation to attribute both as like the ones that are universal as universal skills. Like for example, fire making is something that was taught in literally every single human culture at mm-hmm. some point in their human history and that everybody is like, should learn how to do that yeah. everyone should learn how to do it it's like the birthright of literally every single person on this planet um and also there are some skills that are very specifically indigenous to certain regions right so a lot of different i'm korean there's like a real tradition a really rich tradition of archery um and bow making and yeah. arrow making in korea right like mm-hmm. there's korea south korea has this really cool government program where people are declared national treasures if they practice traditional skills and arts very 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 well if they're like the best in their field and so yeah and so there's like two people i don't know their names offhand but i've seen videos of them both at work one is a boyer and one is like an arrow maker and they're both national treasures that's cool yeah because they make them in the korean design which is very different from the style of bow making that Mm. we teach and so Mm -hmm. when we say like you know like this is how bows are made we do our best to be very specific um there's an incredible museum in the bay area the oakland museum of california that has a participatory collection of ohlone miwok pomo and some chumash artifacts that uh the museum curators are in active conversation and dialogue with members of those communities so that everything there is there by permission um so yeah yeah yeah. so i love taking my kids there um and the ohlone bows that we see there are really really interesting so you were talking earlier about using english longbows daniel like yeah for and like how you're interested in bow hunting these bows are real short 
that was the first thing that occurred to me when I saw them. I'm like, they're, mm. they're so wee, like they're really, really small. And I imagine the poundage on them, like the draw weight is really high. Um, yeah. I and when I, yeah. And then when I think about, you know, my time spent out on the land in the bay and the biomes that people would be hunting in and the kind of game you would be hunting like deer and rabbit and all of these things makes everything clicks into place i'm like oh that makes sense because you're going to be stooping and all of the chopper all you're going to be moving through a bunch of underbrush if you have like a big ass bow you're going to get caught up in things um yeah. not to mention it really stands out like it's an eyesore mm-hmm. um which That's is very the difference between uh the like the japanese longbow and the english longbow mm-hmm. like the, the japanese longbow mm-hmm. is is one that is used from horseback and the english right. one you can't use from horseback yeah, no, <laughs> good luck. Because, yeah. <laughs> because of because of where you grip the bow. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of Korean archery is also done from horseback. And we have several yeah. styles of bow that we teach from um, that are bought at work. Um, including those like those big ass like Samic Sage recurve bows, you know, the ones with those yes. huge honking um uh grip uh with like an arrow rest and riser, but we also have like these very sleek uh quote unquote horse bows that are designed off of like Korean um, archery cool. equipment that's designed that is in turn designed to be shot from the back of a horse mm-hmm. so it's light and it's um, ambidextrous and um, they're just a very different look very different design um, I, I have a my bow is a, I have a diamond edge that's, ooh, that's the bow I, I really nice. want a white but they're super expensive they are expensive is that yeah, the compound bow you have yeah it's beautiful the uh, Hoyt bows are like, like <laughs> over they're like over a grand yeah US yeah. Yeah. And for oh, reference really... for people listening, um, the a lot of sort of entry level to mid level bows cost anywhere from like a hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars. So if you're looking at a grand, like that's that's quite that's quite an investment. Yeah, and, and you you have to pay for like arrows ain't cheap. Oh, yeah. Arrows, arrows are, are not expensive. cheap. It's like you lose an arrow, that's like throwing ten dollars at least. That's right. like throwing ten dollars oh, yeah. to the wind. Per um, per shaft, right? Like per, per, per shaft, yeah, yeah. And then Air, you have to yeah. pay for your your release as well. I've seen releases go for like two hundred dollars. Oh yeah, the eras are the expansion cards in Magic: The Gathering, right? You get the deck <laughs> yep. for free. The bow yeah. is like the bow is somewhat accessible, right? So you get that first deck for free. But then anytime you want to build it up, like if you actually want to do anything, you have to like pay out the nose to do it. Yeah. Um, and you have to you, yeah. ha- you can you can like bows like modern like compound bows are like fully customizable, so you can get new grips for oh, it. My God. Like you can get like new scopes. Like I only have a three pin scope. Maybe I want to get a five pin right. scope. <laughs> <laughs> so, I can, so I can dial into five different Jeez. ranges instead oh, of just and three. Like, if you're bow hunting, realistically, you are using a compound bow. It is. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like. I, uh, I met a guy who hunted with black powder weapons. Whoa. Yeah. So, so I have a gun license. Oh, that's um, awesome. I'm looking. I've never. I've actually never shot a gun before. And like this hmm. year, I really want to get out get a range membership and like start practicing because i want to go hunting pretty soon yeah it's something that that like i do with my family with my dad oh um, wow that's awesome had, like semi yeah semi um <laughs> but, but i have i i've had a gun license since i was 18 wow that's um, awesome. and it's, it's it's and i realized that like the listeners probably like, whoa what like it, <laughs> this is not a canadian thing like a like it's a not. canadian having a gun license it's really not yeah it's, <laughs> it's really uncommon i only know um, I only know three people, uh, four people 
in, in my friend circle, no, four people in my like outward friend circle mm-hmm. and like maybe two people in my inner friend circle yeah. who have firearms licenses. I can yeah. think of like one outside of you. Yeah, yeah. And like I got mine as a part of school. Yeah. I, oh. Yeah. 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 I know a lot. I mean, surprise in the United States, right? And yeah. Right. <laughs> Even in California, which has a reputation for having like much higher standards of regulation than a lot of states, mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of local friends who have firearms licenses and own firearms. But the thing is, like most of them are white, actually. Yeah, and they're I know always. Any, I know. I know one Asian who has a gun license. Yeah, and when you look at the history of like gun control law or open carry law in the states, like that wasn't always true. Um, like I learned actually only a couple years ago that the reason why there are uh that open carry was banned in california was because it coincided with the black panthers arming themselves oh and for a really long time you know other uh other people wanted to to ban open carry but for like quote-unquote fringe reasons and then suddenly that legislation was unearthed and pushed through really fast yeah Um, yeah yeah well there are also those iconic images and videos of we were talking about the la riots of right. those Korean shop owners, you know, arming up and getting ready yeah. for looters. Yeah. And people, I like, I actually, it's crazy to me that the LA riots happened within our living history. And yep. so few people know what they are, let alone why it happened and what transpired. Um, and multiple times I've like fielded a lot of like really shocked reactions of like, why do all these Korean store owners, how do they even know how to fire a gun? Right? Yeah, you, don't, <laughs> like, you don't associate that with, <laughs> right. with any of it. Yeah. Well, especially in like the urban areas we live in, I think that people forget that um, East Asian immigrant communities are at their roots in America, especially working class. They are working class communities. The model minority mm-hmm. thing only oh my God, happened in the late so- 80s. Well, yeah. I mean, the model minority thing was also incredibly damaging. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a deliberate, it was a deliberate, like, choreography to drive mm-hmm. a wedge between intra-people of color um, organization. Mm-hmm. Because, like, up until that point, like, for example, again, looking at local California history and local Bay Area history, the Black Panthers worked with the Third World Movement, all the Pan-Asian movements. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of solidarity. And that doesn't mean that everything was perfect, across the board but there was an acknowledgement of like we are working with you to support mm-hmm. your causes and again that sort of reciprocity of labor that reciprocity of of work and and visibility that we were talking right, about yeah. in a very different context before mm-hmm. um and then the model minority myth started and that just it started eroding so quickly there was yeah. that, there was that time magazine that. cover yeah i don't know if you're yeah. That. yeah there that was, there, was, it, there was there was this cover of time magazine um, about the model minority and it was it was these Asian kids on the cover and they like staged it so that they looked like the stereotypical smart Asian kid. What year was this? Oh, this has got to be in the... It was in the 80s, uh, 80s I think, right? 80s? Yeah. yeah. Either the early or mid 80s. Um, and it was... It, it really set perceptions of Asians back, especially considering that, you know, the, there was like the Exclusion Act. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And considering that, you know, there were the the LA riots, which you know after that really damaged people's perceptions of Koreans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they, they dared to fight back. Right, right. Um, there was this idea of like Asians as the docile demographic, right? Yep. Especially light skinned East Asians. Um, 
the less brown you were, the closer you are to assimilating into visual white values, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I when I was growing up, like that buying into white supremacy was this funny thing where on the one hand, I don't know how, how like your parents talk to you about it, but my parents, my family, and like a lot of the other Asian American kids I know who are East Asian specifically, especially would hear from their parents all the time, like the re- like one of the reasons why you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, go into business at a certain level is so that you will make as much as white people, right? Or you're still yeah. going to have yeah. to work yep. like twice yeah, yeah. as hard and you'll get half as much, but you will be yeah. seen respectfully in white communities, right? Like mm-hmm. this is how you will, you will survive. Um, and at the same time, there was so much frustration with whiteness. There was both a recognition of like white supremacist values that was both upheld in a lot of the language and the professions and just all of these mm-hmm. like sort of intrinsic implicit values that I uh, was receiving as like a second gen Asian American kid. And at the same time, you know, like I would come home and like, you know, just one time I made the mistake of like talking back to my mom in a way that I'd overheard a friend of mine who was like right. very white. Oh, no. after her mom. oh yeah. We all, yeah. Oh no is right. She just, if I talk back to my parents, like my white friends talk back to their parents, I will oh, get my ass yeah. beat. Dude. Like she looked like she didn't even have to say it. She just looked at me and I, I knew immediately oh. like, Oh, I yeah. fucked up. I fucked up. <laughs> and straight up she goes, is this how your white friends talk to their parents? Because I know you did not hear this from another Korean kid. And I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. See, I wouldn't even get that. My dad would be like, get the feather duster. Go get the, <laughs> oh, the, the bamboo feather duster. Oh. Shit, that hurt. Oh, man. Shit, that hurt. Yo, like. <sighs> oh, don't do that to your kids now. Don't Corpor- do that to your kids Yeah, now. corporal punishment is no. Very damaging to child development. Very damaging. Very. And very I remember damaging. very clearly my dad's stories that he told like for laughs, right? Of like being in the public school system in Korea. Cause this is something it always like shocks and appalls my white friends. And I'm like, sure, it's not great. And right, like people right. definitely have like cracked down on it a lot. But also like it's a it's a different it is a different country with a different culture. Mm-hmm. And so like just slow your roll a little bit. Um right, well, yeah. that, that's like with the the Mary Kondo thing. People are just right. like judging her because they because they have they don't have an understanding of japanese values yeah and and there is something like it's different it's different levels right like cor- again, yeah. corporal punishment <laughs> still not yeah, yeah, yeah yes and, definitely and also the ways in which uh well-meaning white people and well-meaning liberal white people especially i think condemn things that we can all universally yeah. acknowledge are not great but suddenly there's an escalation of language there's an escalation of vehemence behind it yeah. that i find like really suspect to be to be honest yeah um, i agree yeah no but my dad has stories about stuff that like now people do in like crossfit training they like pay good money to do the shit that his teachers punished him with which is like hilarious <laughs> to me. Wow. like at one point he told me a story about how you know he um taught he didn't talk back but he was like talking while the teacher was talking and a common thing was he would make uh, this teacher would make him hold a chair above his head for like twenty minutes. Whoa. Oh, that's CrossFit. You're just holding a, a plate above your yeah. head. Yeah, and he said that there was a spot in the room. He found it like the third time it happened. There was a spot in the room where there was just like a little nail hanging out of the wall, just a little oh bit, yeah, that had been painted it. over. And yeah. so he would just act really anguished. Good and he him. Him. <laughs> and, and now I think about that story. I'm like, oh, he was larping. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I, I, what I, what I like most about your your LARP and your LARPs and like your your work in general is just that it's it's unique. It, to me, it's different. Like I was, you know, introduced to the world of LARP at Metatopia, and like I still mm-hmm. talk about it. Like I I played a LARP and I participated in like as a as a designer on the alpha test of another about K-pop. Because oh, I fucking love amazing. <laughs> I think I know which game you're talking about. Yeah. Was and it um was it Last Train to Busan? No, no, but okay. we interviewed Cleo, yeah. the author yeah, yeah. in the last episode. Hmm. No, it was a new one. Somebody oh, okay. it was a, a white person was making a uh writing a K pop LARP. Oh, interesting. And, and and I was the only Asian person <laughs> in the room. <laughs> was that telling <laughs> that tone? My oh yeah, no, that was my that was my this fe- is also my reaction. That was my like my friend, my my business partner, he was like, Yo, Daniel, I'm sitting in the alpha test for what I I didn't know what was a K-pop LARP. He's like, and he was know. like, he's like, Daniel, there's only white people here. Like, oh, you need no. to be here. And, and like, <laughs> all this goes wrong. Save me. And I was yeah. like, I'm on my way. <laughs> what did you do? Um, Yikes. It went okay. It, it went okay. I think that um, I told that person to read Cleo's game. Yeah. Um, and then I told that person to listen to a whole bunch of other K-pop because they were basically basing it only on their understanding of bts ah yeah i was like i was like you got to really look at the industry Mm -hmm. they're not i mean they're like the biggest the biggest band yeah right now yeah but like they are not representative of the entire thing because because me i always go back like yo yo, check out my boy jay park because he's my favorite (laughs) Um, but you need a bigger perspective but yeah you need a bigger perspective and it, it, it was interesting but i but you know, I'm really glad that we had you on for this because we were originally going to do this as a live stream, but I think it, I think it turned into something much bigger yeah. and something that, mm. you know, should be a, an episode of on its own. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, totally. we talked about, you know, several episodes, several episodes, because <laughs> yeah. we need to do more. We need to do more. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm so down. I, I'm so down. I think just like talking to you about, you know, connecting with nature because because when, when people think about games they think about oh you're like stranger things you're sitting in your basement you're you're avoiding nature but you're doing the opposite you yeah know, you're trying to bring games to nature i'm really and i think yeah. that's so mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. i'm you know i'm i'm glad you brought up metatopia so i was sponsored to go to metatopia as the um the igdn one of those sc- yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Um, in 2017 and it was cool. like it was uh no pun intended, a game changer for me Um, because I was like, oh, people, this is a serious medium. Like people take this really seriously and it can be really transformative. Um, Mm -hmm. And up until like, even through that convention, I had been writing LARPs and designing games for my day job, right? It was all in the service of the company. And that's still a big bulk of my work. And then I realized, oh, I have a real passion actually for for nature connection and guiding people to nature connection. Mm. And there was a marketing pitch panel that I went on um, where one of the things that I mentioned in my pitch, because there was like this whole thing, Jason Pete um, ran it with Beth Rimmel and a couple other people. Forgive me. I can't remember their names. Um, but he asked me to, to pitch my fake pitch to everybody. And I remember mm. um, one of the things that I said in it is that, people are afraid of connecting with nature because they think they're going to be bad at it, but it's not like a skill set in that way. It's not like an achievement that you like fail or don't fail to unlock. It's Mm. actually something that everyone carries with them. 
and mm-hmm. sometimes relationships that you build exactly yeah. exactly and it can always be nurtured no matter like where you're at literally geographically where you're at but also where you're at in terms of your relationship to the natural world it can right. always, always be nourished and grown and it can always thrive and some some people, so nice <laughs> it is. I, I find it very, like I, I really believe this um and I believe it partly because like I've seen it and people mm-hmm. who work in games and who design games a lot I think they feel a lot of alienation partially because of that whole thing of like oh yeah I'm a nerd I don't go outside but right. but games can guide them there right they just right. need a gateway to be walked through and then and this then they're is, there yeah, this- Resonates with me so much. Okay, I'm gonna come clean. Yeah, yeah please <laughs> um, do. Well, historically, <laughs> I've uh, <laughs> always considered myself an indoor kid. So um, a part of that was that I've had really bad allergies growing up, mm. up until like maybe I was like 22, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't go out for recess. I remember that during elementary school, um, my allergies were just so bad, and so. Yeah, I've always had this weird relationship with the outdoors, and that's something that games has always provided me. Yeah, that that gateway to being able to have that relationship. So a lot of what you're saying resonates with me so much. I'm so oh, glad. Wow. That's so. I'm so <laughs> glad. That's so lovely. As an adult, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, Daniel. Daniel's I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I can like hear it. Oh, this is so sweet. This is so wholesome. Aww. I love it. Yeah. Uh, no, and work, like, yeah, honestly, my work sounds super important. Thank you. And, and we're, we're running out of time. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to, I wanted to end with one question. So oh, yeah, totally. On, on that same trip where I was, you know, when I was, we were talking about that, that botany app in China, mm-hmm. uh, when I was flying home and uh, I watched this movie on the plane at, called Survival Family. Mm-hmm. Have you ever oh, seen it? It's what? a Japanese movie. I haven't. What's okay. it about? So it is, it was, so it came out in 2017. It's super fringe. It's super fringe. Now like, we're looking at it right yeah. now. It's so tiny. It's, 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 got- it's, it's, it's got a three second, three second, three centimeter. Uh, oh my God. Three sentence. <laughs> Man, three sentence, like plot line uh, summary. But so I watched this movie while on a plane um, back from Shanghai. Uh-huh. And it like everything about this at, at this point, you know, one hour, one and a half hour conversation that we've had uh-huh. uh, is kind of covered in that movie. I am. It's, it's I like, hope it's on Netflix because I want to watch it immediately. Yeah. That's so. Uh, cool. Yeah, I hope it's on Netflix or on the on the the Pirate Bay or something like that. <laughs> um, not that I said that. Um, <laughs> but one hundred percent, like watch that movie, and I think yeah, if you if I'm you it's really interesting. You have to watch it from like a culturally relative perspective sure, because it really sure. does play off of those traditional family values in Japan. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. And how those are completely uprooted by the loss of electricity. Mm. Wow, yeah. And there's this, and I'm no spoilers, mm-hmm. but there's this like the the stereotypical like husband, businessman, you know, mm-hmm. blue collar worker. Yeah, like a salary guy. man kind of, yeah. Yeah, salary mm-hmm. man, that's the term. And when the electricity goes out, he continues to go to the office in the hope that he could continue his work. Oh, it's the that's, thing. So, that's so Aww. real. Right. Right. God, and, yeah. Right. And it's, it, it's, it's a really good movie. And I think anybody who, who has fully listened to this episode of Asians represent 
should watch this movie because I think it really, you know, it encapsulates how that that feeling of disconnect that we sometimes have with nature, yeah. but the reality that we're always connected to nature. Yeah. That's what that movie's about. Oh my god, that's, we have that's to what watch this. Yeah, we have amazing. to watch this and then uh, talk about it. Can there's you? that movie, would, and then yeah, I would love to. I know that like there's like a time limit, but I would love to continue this conversation with you guys. Um, let's do it. Yeah, like, let's let's, let's do a part two. Surface, like even as we're talking, I've been thinking about like. Um, a, another game I wrote called Your Dead Friend, and I was telling uh, a very much non-LARPer friend of mine about it, and he was like, it's very interesting to me how much you use grief as the root for nature connection in this game. And on the one hand, I kind of hate it because I wish people could just like look outside and feel connected. But on the other hand, like that's how you open them up to feel how sacred that connection is, to feel mm. how much they are already present in it. And that's actually very mm. clever, um, which... I, I was like, why, thank you. I hadn't thought of that. I just I like... totally, <laughs> totally planned that. Uh, yeah, that was on purpose. But also like when he was talking about it, it made me kind of reflect on like my my relationship with grief and how close to grief I felt like even since a ki- I was a kid. And I think that actually has a lot to do with my identity as a, as a Korean American, as a Korean person. Like mm. there's, um you know, this is, again, one of the things that I hesitate to talk about in the presence of white people. But there's that yeah. idea of, like, Han when you're Korean, of this, um, like, in your blood as a Korean person is that knowledge that you are powerless. Like, you're actually pretty powerless in the face of a lot of circumstance. But that doesn't mean you can stop fighting. And in Korea, it's actually, like, people die of Han, even in Western medical practice in Korea, like you will see diagnoses of like, oh, this person had their fifth heart attack because they're just like so wrapped up in their Han. Um, And yeah. And so like the ways in which um, being diasporic as an Asian person Mm -hmm. is also kind of like, there's an undercurrent that's wrapped into a lot of the ways that I feel in nature, Mm -hmm. like when I'm in nature, um, you know, like one of the the most land connected memories I have of being a kid and being in nature is when my family would do our trip, our day trips out into the mountains in Korea to um, picnic at my grandfather's grave. Because in Korea, mm-hmm. if you have a lot of money, you're not cremated. And like on one side of my family, I think um, my my grandfather had a lot of money. You're buried in mudang. They're like these funerary mounds that the grass and the plants all grow over. And it's maintained yeah. by the family. Um, and then you like go out to like pay your respects once a year. And it's a mm-hmm. hike. Like you have to hike up a mountain and there's like all these animals and all these plants and all these insects wow. all around yeah. you. Um, and then you spend the whole day out there and you come back. But all of that is on the on the back of like someone's death, like an ancestral right. death. Um, but it was still, you know, all of my memories of those days are really lovely. Right. So, yeah, there's just so much to talk about. <laughs> Right. No, don't go. No, yeah, we will we will one hundred percent do this again. Please. Um, I would love that. Yeah. There's so much media that we need to watch. Yeah, <laughs> I we'll know. Allow, my last recommendation about connecting with nature, uh Hunt for the Wilder People. Ooh. If, if y'all haven't seen that. One. I have not. It's 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 by Taika Waititi who did oh, uh, yeah. Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um he's also in what we do in the shadows, I think. He's like the, yeah, the yeah, he, he also yeah. I think you yeah, he also directed and wrote that movie. Oh, did he? That's awesome. Yeah, pretty sure. That's awesome. Um, but he, so he has another movie with the great Sam Neill, <gasps> who was uh, 
you know, you know Dr. Alan Grant in uh-huh. Jurassic Park 1. Yeah. Oh. And yeah. Park three. I also, uh, guys, he was also in Event Horizon. Oh yeah. Do you guys follow Samuel's Instagram? No. no. Sam Neil. <laughs> Sam Neil in his semi-retirement um, has bought like a giant vineyard and land in New Zealand, and one of his Ooh. passions are like his ducks and his livestock. And so he posts Aww. these little videos of like all his ducks like waddling around after him and his goats and stuff. You know who loves the land? Uh, Chris Pratt. Have you seen? Uh, <laughs> no. Have you seen Chris Pratt's Instagram? So he he has um, he has a he he bought a farm. Nice. And Excellent. he's been farming. Oh and he yeah, and he like he's he's like a lot of his videos are him introducing uh his son who he co who who he co parents with Anna Ferris. Uh huh. Um. Like introducing his son, taking care of their goats and their animals, and he he posted about um he put he put this uh he posted a picture of they had harvested meat from one of their animals uh-huh. and it was done very ethically yeah and there was so much backlash against him in the oh. comments and people were like oh you're a monster mm. and but he was trying to teach his son that like you know this is where your food comes from yeah right. and you know so he he's actually trying to do exactly what you're talking yeah. about with his family and he's trying to make sure that his son stays connected with nature yeah. And that that's really cool. So if if the listeners want to get connected to nature through your games, oh, where can they find you online? Where can they find you on Twitter, uh, your website, your games? Yeah, I'll throw up all the links in the chat here, but I do have a Twitter. It's just my name, Gian Shim, which I am not gonna assume that everyone will know how to spell from sound. So I'll <laughs> I'll put it up. Um there's I also have a Patreon now, which isn't super active. It's not late yet. Um, yeah, I'll send that link as well. And then I'll okay. send a link to Trackers Bay. Um, and gosh, I'm actually doing a lot of things right now. I can also send individual links. For example, I don't have like um, a shop website yet for my LARPs, but they're all PDFs. And so I often list them in my Twitter feed and I can list individual links for like Your Dead Friend, um, which is a sliding scale of 2 to $5 and for Pin Feathers and Cloud Studies, which is free. Um, and let's see. Oh, I'm also going to be working as sort of like a a wilderness skills liaison, um, on a blockbuster LARP on the West coast called event horizon, where this game is going to be, yeah, it's going to be survival themed. Um, and it, so if we, if we ever make it to the West coast for big bad con uh or something, yes, we don't have to chill. Yes. Like, like, I really want to talk to you about survival because it's something that I'm really into. Like I keep, I keep like a bug out bag in my car. I awesome. can, I could live in my home right now for four months without leaving. Yep. Yo, that's <laughs> like actually I, more I, than I could do right now. I am very like, impressed. That's awesome. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hardcore. Yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> Good. Uh, and like, I'm, you know, I'm a big advocate, you know, maybe, maybe, okay. I have my fingers crossed. Um, I'm like, I'm really into like my everyday carry. Like I carry like a multi-tool nice. and the knife with me yeah. everywhere I go. Yeah. I always carry a first aid kit. Battery packs. The battery <laughs> packs. I carry <laughs> everything. And everybody thinks I'm so weird because I carry a knife. Yeah, but you're going to be chilling when. I'm going to be yeah. chilling when, when the zombie yeah. comes. Yeah. Do you have a life straw? <laughs> when... Yeah, no. I do have a life yeah, straw. Yeah. I also have a, a UV nice, one as well. Nice. Because the thing about the, the standard life straw. Oh, life straws oh, are a great. Life straw is like a, a portable filter. Mm-hmm. That you, oh, it's yeah. literally okay, a straw. Gotcha, yeah. yeah, you can get them for yeah, like yeah, yeah. $11.99 on Amazon. Yeah, and, and they actually are <laughs> quite effective. They they will not necessarily 
purify water, but they do filter out most bacteria and impurities. So for example, if you like come upon a water source in an urban area and you're not sure if it's like chemically tainted, they won't be as mm. useful. But if it's like to protect against protect Giardia, Giardia, right. yeah, like things like that. It's good that, for that. That shit's crazy. Yeah, right. yeah, and it's like ninety point ninety nine point like nine 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 effective. So like it's Whoa. it's pretty good. Um, if if, you, if anybody's gonna have if you're gonna have anything in your like kit, yeah. you should have a life. Yeah, yeah, low profile. So just it put is it in low there. profile. Yeah, they don't take. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like the size of an epipen. Yeah, basically. and as long as you dry. So one thing to know about them is like you need to dry out the components after you use them because they can mildew. Yeah, it's okay. like a filter, right? Okay. Um, but as long as you do that, they will last you a long, long time. Um, and you can buy multiple and have them on hand. Um, yeah, they're useful. They're very useful, especially given the size, like how portable they are. Yeah, and if you're gonna carry a knife, I carry a Benchmade. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's good. We... I've been here. I have. I have one. I have one folding knife for every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's they're they're so my good. accessories, but I only, I only carry one. I, I carry a Benchmade Mini Griptilian. You just pulled one nice. out right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, and I have a, a Leatherman Micra signed by Tim Leatherman himself. Ooh, that's fancy. <laughs> yeah, just, that's that your was, Tuesday night. That's my Tuesday yeah. knife. No. Uh, our, um, um, but, our workhorse knife at Trackers is the Mora Neves, the Swedish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they're – I have one in my car. They're great. They're fixed weight. Yeah, carbon steel is great for if you need um, – Super light. Yeah, if you if you do a lot of carving, carbon steel is great because it means it uh, you can sharpen the edge back really well. But if you think your knife is ever going to get wet or you're not great at knife maintenance, then the stainless steel is really great. And what's great about the Morneve is it's like a sturdy fixed blade knife that we can use to like baton like wood, right? Yep. So it it'll hold up expensive. to quite a lot. They're not expensive, no, they're not. And so they're great. Um, and I I strongly prefer them over even like a like a very good quality like hinged folding knife because as soon as you yep. put a hinge in there it's just the structural integrity you baton with yeah it. you can't baton with mm. it exactly well you can actually baton with the benchmade mini griptilian oh <laughs> <laughs> one of the only folding knives that you can baton with Dang. reasonably i didn't know that i'll yeah, reasonably that yeah and i mean the i but the fixed blade knife like i have a mora in my car uh but under my bed in my bed kit I have a Gerber LMF2, <laughs> and I picked it because it has a glass breaker on one end and a rubberized handle so you can cut wires. Oh, that's useful. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see just if you want to take photos of your kit or like just send me a list of what's in your kit, I'd love to see it. Like what? Yeah, 100%. I, you know what? We should do an episode. We should just talk gear. Yeah, we should, we should just, just talk we gear. Should, yeah. We should yeah. just, we should we just sit and talk doomsday. Yeah. I feel like we... That will that will be the live stream. We yeah. do. We're just going to talk doomsday <laughs> oh, yeah, and to. like share links. Yeah. Let's, let's 100%. You know what? Let's leave it there and let's do yes. that for a live stream because I think that'd be that so That would be cool. so cool. I feel like we have the, the bones for like at least two more like just recorded episodes like this. But being able to show people like... Like this is what we yeah. have in our gear. That would actually be really mm -hmm. cool. Um, and coincidentally, I am writing a LARP about how to make a bug out kit and different scenarios. Oh, Yo, nice. Okay, nice. Let, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that because I'm also I'm also going to be updating mine with some new things. That's awesome. Nice. That's awesome. Great. Perfect. Yo, I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's gonna be great! So if uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter, and I think Twitter is the best place to find all of your stuff. Yes. Uh, that's at uh, Gian Shim. Mm -hmm. So it's J E E Y O N S H I M mm -hmm. for the people who aren't 
you know, listening to this on the web and they're doing it through their phone. Yeah. And what I'll uh, do is I'll throw up a new pinned tweet that just has links to everything. Um, perfect. Until yeah, I get like a real website going. Yeah. And I have a Patreon. Do you have too. a Tumblr? I do have a Tumblr, although it is a little out of date. I'm trying to like revamp it, you know, now that the whole website is dead, RIP. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. But like for people who want, especially for people who want access to um, like, glimpses of my work and pdfs of my games before they're published to the general public my patreon is actually the best place to find that um yeah yeah boom yeah cool boom yeah and you'll find that on the twitter thank you so much for doing this will be the first of many episodes i'm so excited thank you for having me this was a really really lovely way to spend my tuesday evening thank you no this was dope (laughs) all right well have a good night you too Thanks to Gian for joining us for this episode of Asians Represent. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Asians Represent is part of the One Shot Podcast Network. If you head to oneshotpodcast.com, you can listen to a variety of amazing podcasts like The Broadswords, an all-woman actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast focusing on roleplay, narrative, and diversity at the gaming table. One day this year, we will do another collaboration with The Broadswords. And this time... We promise we will record it this time. Then there were only two people on the entire planet who witnessed the greatness of our first collaboration. Katie and Miriam, you, will, you, you, you are proof that this, that this uh, collab is going to be dope. You're the ones who carried you're, with you. You're the ones carried in your hearts. Um, but if you have any questions about this episode's theme, because we, we talked about a lot of different subjects, uh, you get get in touch with us. You know, we we talk a lot about um, you know being outdoors. We, we I think this was the first episode where we really talked about not directly gaming related mm. topics. Yeah, right. But get in touch with us if you have any questions. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at AZNS Represent uh, or at AZNS Represent at OneShotPodcast.com. We have an Instagram page at AZNS Represent as well as a Facebook page. Uh, I'm Daniel. And I'm Jade. And you've just listened to Asians Represent. Represent.